0: Is that true? Does publishing slow down in the summer significantly?
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I mean, I've, I'm busy throughout the year. I mean, and there are editors, especially um, in the US and UK who, well, they don't take as long of summer vacation time as, um, I don't know, editors in spain or france or other european countries so you can be submitting things um sometimes the summer is the best time to like submit a new project um to a u.s or, or uk editor
0: Gotcha. Well, i've heard i've always hearing conflicting reports some people tell me no they They take their their long summers and just wait until they come back. And other people say nobody else is submitting because they all think they're on vacation. So it's the perfect time uh, Mm -hmm. to get in there when uh, when the when the way is clear.
1: (laughs) What's always true is that September is just manic. Like it's like I don't know from August, which is holiday time for most people, to like the first week of September, which is the opposite (laughs) it's it's um the biggest i think kind of adjustment time for everybody in in the year um so for that reason i do try to slow down a bit in the summertime just to kind of (laughs) be prepared as much as possible for the um the really busy fall well, this is great
0: information. I think, I think we should call this the the start of the show. What is it about September that um, that, that is the perfect uh, uh, confluence of events that, that keeps
1: everybody so busy? Um, well, it's the net like returning from summer holidays. Um, but it's also the run up to the Frankfurt Book Fair, which takes place in October. And so, especially um, if you're a foreign rights agent, which is what I used to be, um, you are really doing everything you can to kind of build up um, momentum and interest and, and deals for new projects as early as possible in September so that you, you've got things that are um kind of hot by the time frankfurt um is happening um so so yeah and everybody in international publishing really uh gets busy at the same time or is like looking to acquire new projects at the same time um, from September into October. It's also the time when the biggest books are public, like the sort of um, the biggest publications of the year um, from the big publishers as well as small ones are all coming out in September to October. So it's a very busy time with, I mean, on the other kind of end of the the book, uh, the life of a book from (laughs) the new projects that are just in their sort of, I don't know, early draft or idea form, hitting editor's inboxes to the kind of most talked about books of the year. Hitting the shops, there. There are also a lot of prizes. Like the biggest prizes are in that period too. So it's a it's a big big time (laughs) in every respect.
0: So if an author is uh, querying in general, but querying you, are they better off trying to get in there in the summer, maybe no later than August, Uh, or are they better just waiting till
1: December and beyond? that's probably true um i think it's pretty much any time like those crunch months of september october are probably the worst time to be querying um but then i think other time like any other time like from november december and into August um, can be fine.
0: <laughs> well, I know uh, when I chatted with uh, Mark Gottlieb, uh, he mentioned that uh, conventional wisdom is nobody does anything in those weeks of Christmas and New Year's. And, and publishing goes to you know, it's like those. That's my busiest time because I know there's all the competitions weeded out. If anybody checks their email, there, they're they're going to see me because everybody else is being respectful and polite, <laughs> and not send the emails at that time. Would, is, is, would would you concur? Is that is that a good idea?
1: Mm, I think I used to think that was the case, but now, and maybe this has become more apparent, like during the pandemic with more people well with everyone working from home um that that um period pretty much especially for the U.S. because of Thanksgiving like in holiday time in in November it's a I think a really um counterproductive time to submit a new project um probably from mid-November until January, I would say. Um, I mean, it's, there are exceptions. Like, it's possible if it was, like, a new novel by a, an author that already is sort of in with a publisher, um, then it could be a good way of giving that editor the manuscript with the understanding that they could read it take the time to read it from like November through December and that you'd be talking to them and their team about it in January. But um, I think for things, I mean, uh, by debut writers, it's not a very good time because nobody's really, everyone at the end of the year is just kind of trying to clear off their desk or clear out their inbox and I don't know focus on having time with their families and um, and it's also not um, even if the editor that you submit something to is I don't know willing and and able to take the time to read then chances are the rest of their team is not it's a hard time for people to put something through acquisitions or to get like other input on a project because maybe they're yeah able to focus on it um in November or December but they probably won't be able to get their boss to (laughs) do it as well or the publicity marketing people um, so you end up um I don't know starting from square one in January anyways
0: Gotcha. So, even if you get a hold hmm. of Ebenezer Scrooge, they've still got to wait for Bob Cratchit to come <laughs> in. <laughs> and I should mention, I'm probably only half remembering what Mark Gottlieb said. Esteemed audience, check the back catalog. It's a wonderful episode. Uh, he's got yeah, a I just listened to
1: most of it, actually. To oh, sort of prepare myself yeah. for this one. Um... And it was, it was my, really uh, interesting. Best, uh, I would say I'm probably pretty much the opposite <laughs> kind of agent. Well,
0: oh. wonderful. We'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get a whole spectrum of views. That'll be uh, my, my guest today is uh, Jessica Craig. I'm sorry, you were saying uh, what I knew was vital information. I'm like, if I ask a million different ways, there's no way I'll get you to bring up this information about timing again. So like, We got to start now. <laughs> That's too good. <laughs> but I, I couldn't be thrilled. With you uh, You were able to make time for us today. Um, the esteemed audience, knows that I never summarize anybody else's background because I'll just make a mess of it, and you'll be sitting there, and you'll know I'm wrong, and we'll both know I'm wrong, and it'll just be <laughs> it'll just be a bad start. Uh, so, if you would give uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background, and we'll go from there.
1: Well, I started in um, publishing um, right out of college uh, in the mid '90s. In Uh, New York City um when I graduated from Columbia um it's funny thinking back to that time because it was basically just before the internet like took over our lives or especially job searching um but it was literally just uh like an index card (laughs) that I found like stop uh stapled onto a bulletin board in the, in the jobs office um, asking um, for someone to be in an, an international literary scout um, which was something I'd never heard of before but it just sounded you know, like the perfect job for me <laughs> and um, so that's how I started and it was um, working for an agency uh that so scouts represent um, international publishers and sometimes uh, film companies as well um, and report to the clients about the publishing scene and the books that are coming up um, as early in advance as, as possible. Um, to advise them uh, and put and position them to offer for the rights um, of like the hottest books every month. Um, and it was, yeah, it's a very behind the scenes job. Um, there are a lot of scouts nowadays um, in New York, in the US, in the UK, there are even scouts in like other foreign countries um, like Spain, for instance. Um, but back then there were kind of a small number in New York and similarly kind of small number in uh, London or the UK. Um, and it was an excellent way to learn the ropes of, of not just uh, US publishing, but international publishing as well. Um, Cause you just, yeah, you're having to read, um, and kind of race to like get a hold of early drafts or like new manuscripts and proposals of um, fiction and nonfiction and cultivating relationships um, with editors uh, with agents to you know, show them that you'd be a good person to have them send um, uh, these things for you to read and and So I did that for um, almost a decade, Um, and that was, yeah, really the foundation of, I guess, the rest of my career. Um, And I was thinking that, because I've always really been a very, I guess, close and passionate reader, um, I was envisioning I would probably want to be an editor someday um, or as a next step but um, this is actually something similar to what came up in your conversation with Mark that once you sort of get to know agents or learn about the role that an agent plays you realize that um, we're um, in an editorial role with with authors as well Um, and in some cases even more so than than um than some editors these days um so that's why yeah agenting became the thing that i wanted to do and the easiest um or the most natural kind of progression from being a scout um, to working in an agency is to become a foreign rights agent um so that was what i did after After scouting, and um, I worked in a really um, extraordinary um, boutique agency in um, New York. Um, Extraordinary because of the quality of the writers, and they were mostly debut writers, but um, people that have, especially in literary fiction. and some in journalism have have really gone on to have um, stellar careers. Um, The agency was called Burns and Clegg. So it was Bill Clegg and Sarah Burns who are both agents in different places now, but at that time they had formed this company. Um, And I was, yeah, their foreign rights director. And that, um, yeah, showed me how much I love working, um, closely with writers, with, um, promoting especially new voices, um, in who are writing, I don't know, really high quality of, um, of storytelling, um, internationally and uh, yeah, finding books are really championing books that i could see would have um, appeal in several different languages. Um, And it was, I guess, around, um, well, first of all, that agency (laughs) sort of collapsed because the partners split up Um, and I had started actually wanting to um, leave New York and, moved to Europe um and that was accelerated yeah by suddenly needing to find a new job and it was um looking to the UK that I really focused on um and that's um that's when I got the chance to move from um New York to Edinburgh Scotland actually um which was a wonderful opportunity and kind of a dream come true because I had already become really fascinated um, with Edinburgh and in particular this great independent publisher um, called Gate Books, um, which originated and has their headquarters in Edinburgh, although they have a London office, um, well, for many years now as well. and. So that's the only time that I've ever actually worked, um, in a publishing house. Um, and that was really fascinating because it was such a, um, a very active independent publisher. So bigger than, um, many, but still small enough so that everybody there, um, worked really closely together and kind of wears different hats in a way um, and i even acquired a novel like while i was there even though i was the maternity cover foreign rights director um and and yet i when that role came to an end because it was a maternity cover position um i knew that I didn't want to keep working on the publishing side, but I wanted to go back to the agency side. And um, I missed that kind of close connection with um, with writers and and their works. And um, so then I got a job in London um, at a really large agency um, oh, yeah. as a foreign rights director. And... It was, um, that was really interesting because <laughs> I thought I had entered like the most, I don't know, um, permanent and established and kind of old fashioned um, work environment that I had ever been in. Um, and it was like one of the, I mean, oldest and most prestigious literary agencies of all um called PFD Um, but lo and behold like within a few months of me landing there and and starting up the their first in-house um foreign rights department um there was a like a management buyout that um it was like headline news in <laughs> publishing or in like the British press at the time. Cause it involved a lot of, um, I don't know, celebrity authors and it was af- also a talent agency. So there were like actors and, and directors um, and their agents. And basically they all simultaneously resigned one day because they um, didn't le- uh, agree with the new management that it just kind of, Taken over the company, and that's how um, they founded uh, a new agency called United Agents. Um, and it was, yeah, quite an experience to be caught up in all of that. Um, <laughs> but it it turned out to be one of the best experiences um, I've ever had because um, they wanted me to come along with them. Fortunately, so I was part of this really exciting. Um, like a founding member of of a really phenomenal new agency that started in a very big way because there were so many um agents i mean there were like a hundred agents and like kind of uh assistants combined that set up this company and um and all their clients which basically represented i mean some of the best of uh, mostly british uh, literature uh, theater film Um, so and that was a really amazing way to kind of enter london as an american like without (laughs) i actually didn't know i mean i knew some uh, british editors professionally because i'd been sort of submitting books from my previous companies in the U.S. Um, to them but um, yeah it really uh, changed my life in lots of ways to, um, to be, live there and in and work in that kind of a place and I guess I thought um, that because it was such a big company because i loved my job and my colleagues so much and really loved living in london that it would be the place that i would just stay until (laughs) i retired someday and and some of the agents that like who were my colleagues were uh sort of legends in their field um like carolyn Donney, um who um discovered Alan de Botin and she actually was Richard Dawkins's like very first agent and Nick Hornby and um and Pat Cavanaugh um it, um was a phenomenal agent um who sadly passed away actually kind of during this whole time of setting up United Agents but I feel really lucky that um I got to know her and um, and represent some of her writers internationally as well. Um, and, and yet what happened was, um, I mean, I was, I was there for seven years. So really, um, yeah, I got the foreign rights operation sort of running and thriving and had some incredible, um, writers that I worked with uh, for their translation rights representation. Um, Most notably, well, I know there were so many notable ones, but a personal favorite was um, Eleanor Catton, who was, um, she's represented by Carolyn Donney, and she is uh, still the youngest ever writer to win the Booker Prize. for the longest ever novel to have won the Booker Prize, which was um, The Luminaries in, um, oh gosh, was it 2014, 20, maybe just before that, 2012 or 2013, around there. Um, And, but also at about that time, um, I was just starting to feel like, I was hitting a kind of wall in my work and like, just because um, I was working in such an exciting place that was growing in exciting ways, I started to feel like I wasn't actually, I don't know, able to grow much more myself or there was, it it just felt like um, I was... I don't know, kind of in a box (laughs) and and that um, um, I think it was also, I mean, there was, there've been a lot of sort of changes in the foreign rights trade, like over this period um, of, I mean, it was just becoming kind of less fun and buzzy to do that work entirely. And, um, and I was also, the volume was increasing because the company was growing, and so it was like, yeah, I was just losing that kind of fundamental connection with the love of reading, with the love of like discovering and sending out new, um, new projects as a foreign rights agent, and so um, yeah, it was kind of my coping mechanism was. Um, to start just kind of on the sides representing some projects of my own um, or some authors that had, I don't know I'd come in touch with one way or another who I wanted to see if I could um, take forward and So that's when I actually did um, connect with my very first clients um, as a primary agent. Um, And that was um, Jack Chang, um, who's a rising star in middle grade fiction now. But back then, um, he actually had, uh, there was no real idea that he was going to be a middle grade writer. He (laughs) was um, just an interesting writer who I... um, I found, uh, it was when Kickstarter was just starting to kind of become a thing. And I used to, um, subscribe to the newsletters just out of curiosity to see like what sorts of projects, not even expecting, there weren't, people weren't really putting books out on there at that point. It was more like, I don't know, architectural (laughs) projects or like, um, toys or like films or that sort of thing but i think jack's um was the first time i saw a book being kind of pitched um in that way and uh and then we got to meet and i fell in love with his book and um and then yeah there's a lot more to say about (laughs) about that journey um but anyways, it was also when I first connected um, with Chigotse um, who was like my first um, literary novelist client, also um, first um, African writer that I started representing as a primary agent. Um, and so... I realized that was what I wanted to keep doing more and more of, um, but the company wasn't really interested in having me grow in that way. They basically wanted me to just to keep managing foreign rights, and so that's when um, I had the chance um, to <laughs> move to Barcelona and work for a literary agency there. Um, it had just kind of come up um at this time that i was feeling at a crossroads in london and i'm really it feels amazing now that i had that chance because um i'm really glad that i don't know that i was able to (laughs) move to spain um and it i mean in the like I had no idea that like Brexit was around the corner at the time I made that decision, but in hindsight, I'm I'm really glad that um, that I'm yeah, because I always wanted to be kind of more of a European, um, and and so now I am. Um, Maybe. <laughs> I feel I've taken up <laughs> far too long. To oh, t-
0: no, 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 I love oh, long. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: not get, uh, information. Not, just not clever enough to ask about. <laughs> so, <laughs> that saves me time. Esteemed audience learns more than they would have. Otherwise, everybody wins uh, with, with a long answer. Um, you did say uh, a few different things that I, I wanted to follow up in there, although it just struck me that a farm in Spain at the start of 2020, that's that's the place to be. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's lucky about that, that way as way well. And, and away um,
1: the crowd. Yeah, it has been a a really big change that I'm still, I think, because it's been such a busy time. I'm still processing like what it means. Um. I mean, the big change while I was in living in Barcelona that. I made and was like leaving the agency that um, I had started working for there or that had brought me to to live in Spain and, and starting my own business, um, Craig Literary and making that kind of shift from being an employee my whole life basically to suddenly being self-employed um, and like an entrepreneur. Um, which had not ever been anything I would have, I don't know, foreseen before. But as soon as I, ever since I've done it, I've um, been happier than ever, like with my work, with um, my quality of life. (laughs) um, It's harder work than ever, but it, um, yeah, I think I've surprised myself by how well I've, how well-suited I I guess I am for it. and But then the big shift of um, leaving urban cosmopolitan life um, to moving um, to, it's actually an off-grid olive farm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I mean, I did grow up in the country, like in a rural, part of connecticut so i think i've always had that in me of you know really loving nature and calm quiet times and um i became a lot more i guess extroverted um during all the years i lived in cities from like New York to Edinburgh to London and to Barcelona. But um, it's actually been an easy or a very, I don't know, positive adjustment to um, kind of go back to uh, nature and country life. <laughs> um, but it it does have its, yeah, it's something that I'm still. I think getting used to, um, but I think because of the way the world has changed and is changing, like in the context of the pandemic and everything else, um, for me, it feels like kind of the only way forward actually to like keep feeling, um, I don't know, just a sense of calm and, um, and especially in um, discovering new writers and like kind of developing projects from really early stage, I almost feel like I don't know how I would've been able to do it in any other like setting than, <laughs> than this, like during these years. Um, it's. Uh, I think I always, especially since I founded um, my agency i think the gardening metaphor has been like really central to i don't know my philosophy of being an agent the kinds of like way that i go about my work and um so yeah it helps to actually be in that kind of a, a setting while i'm doing my work
0: I well, know that uh, you you said that from an early age, you you believed yourself to be both an American and a European. Uh, and that while you're there in Spain, you're able to get over to the Frankfurt Book Fair without issue, you're able to get to the London Book Fair, you're able to get back to the States for meetings. And how much does, this is, this is a question I'm, I'm asking because this team audience knows I want to decentralize publishing here in the US out of New York uh, and, and, and spread it out more. Uh, it's amusing to me. I'm talking to you in Spain from Indiana <laughs> and our Zoom connection is well. I talked to Maurice Broadus not long ago, and he lives uh, about 10 minutes drive from me. Um, and he was there in his house, very unstable Zoom connection. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Indianapolis. I don't know why that works. <laughs> <laughs> but how does living uh, abroad um, does that impact you at all with your dealings with US or does that open you up and and and, and um, what are the advantages and, and disadvantages of being out of NYC? Mm.
1: Um, I think like pre-2020, I felt that much more, I guess I was much more conscious of maybe the disadvantages or like it was... I don't want to say a level of stress or anxiety. It wasn't quite, but it was more something that I was constantly feeling like I had to overcome, like compensate for by, um, just, I guess, and you can't really, I mean, I, I also was aware that you, I couldn't really, um, No matter how much time i would spend online or like like emailing people or finding like following like i don't know publishers marketplace or whatever to see like who was moving where which new editors were acquiring like that doesn't um compensate for i don't know getting to see those same editors like for coffee or, or just like in the same neighborhoods, even um, in New York or, or Brooklyn. Um, but I think, I mean, in the way that we've all moved our lives and work even more online since 2020, um, I feel like it's more of an even, field in that respect like I don't feel um like I'm at as much of a disadvantage in my ability to um to keep in touch with people to meet new people um so but I still think yeah I don't know <laughs> I mean the disadvantages. I mean, the advantages are very clear to me. I'm also very aware and and grateful that I spent all the years that I did, like in New York, in London, um, and that I have this kind of network of of relationships or even just like the industry knowledge that I've, Kind of carried with me from one place to another and continued to um to build up like even from one place that i've moved to the next um but i and I, i'm sure that i would not have been able to succeed at starting up a, an independent like agency, especially out of Spain um, for writers, for many of whom are like living in the US or the UK, um, if I didn't have like all the experience um, from living in the center of things um, from before. Um, but I think, yeah. I mean, on balance, I feel like the advantages now feel stronger to me than the disadvantages, but um, I think there are just some times where I miss, like I would, l- I wish I find out that there, I don't know about a certain event or see like, I mean, things that are happening in um, in New York, especially that realize oh I would have liked to be able to have attended that or um but there's still a lot um I mean thankfully with everything that has had to happen um online these past few years that's um been great to realize how much I actually can participate in um even by living way over here um but i think it's um i really share your um uh desire to diversify um or decentralize diversify and decentralize um publishing um and so it was becoming apparent to me, like, and and a, definitely a positive thing over the past few years, especially around the time that I was starting, like, deciding to start my own agency. That, um, there were a lot of, I don't know, agents I know and respect who are moving to places other than New York, and, um. So, in that sense, I don't feel like there's, I don't know, a huge amount of difference between me being where I am and and someone who's like decided to live in like Vermont or Minnesota or um, California. Um, And yeah, I mean, what I miss living now in a rural area, is um, community, I guess, like, um, and I was definitely, like, just starting to have kind of been in Barcelona long enough to, I don't know, have a sense of community there, Um, and... And now I'm about to like move to the other side of the country, so it'll be having to um, yeah find or create a new community there. Um, but one thing that it was actually one of my writers um, sort of drove home to me when we talked um, just last week was that like the agency that built or am building and and the writers that i've brought together in this like we're a community like so i love that feeling that um it's a way of yeah making up for the disadvantage of not being in a city (laughs) um but i have loved like trips um I think, are definitely still very important. It's, I think in the first like couple of years of the pandemic, I was starting to feel like, oh, I guess there's no, I don't know, way to <laughs> travel internationally again, maybe. Or like, um, and I was in some ways, like not mourning that as much as I think other people were because, um, I think actually, especially in this industry, we do need to find better ways to be sustainable and like the just kind of perpetual like traveling is uh, that a lot of um, a lot of people do is I'm not sure that is gonna be the best way forward. Um, but I have really realized how just yeah the experience of you know going to like i just went to the bogota book fair in colombia which was um a fellowship i was initially invited to kind of for 2020 but it was pushed um until this year and it was just incredible like to you know just meet so many new people who um, are kind of advancing, like the literary culture and and publishing um, in that part of the world, and having such a sense of like, you know, shared values and purpose, and um, and that's the best thing that you get from trip to um a book fair or to do um meetings with with publishers uh in their offices or in their hometown (laughs) um so yeah i think it's about finding the balance of i think i probably can get away like travel less than in the past but have at least you know two or three really valuable um trips in the year <laughs> and that's probably enough <laughs>
0: uh well you um uh... A lot of things I want to I follow up on. Um, one, you mentioned um, diversifying publishing a little bit more. And of course, I, as esteemed audience knows I ask every publishing professional who comes on the show about diversity and publishing. Um, in your case, I think, uh, usually I ask, what are you doing? What is Craig Literary doing to increase diversity? In but I think a quick scan of your client list uh, will give us some idea of, of, of what you're doing to, to actively work to diversify publishing. Because you work both uh, internationally with foreign rights as, as well as uh, with domestic publishers, not domestic to, to, to us here in the States. Um, hello, international listeners. I never forget you. <laughs> but um, what uh, are you seeing? uh a similar push abroad with internationally in, in, with European publishers, Spanish publishers, all the different types of, of, of foreign rights publishing that you work with, as well as U.S. publishing. Is this something that we need diverse uh, books? Is that primarily a U.S.-focused initiative or aren't you seeing that spreading out to worldwide?
1: Um, I think it's a mixed picture. Um, and I think it, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, because this, I don't know, these initiatives or this kind of awareness that publishing needs to become much, much more diverse, not only in terms of the authors and the books that are, are published, um, but also the people who um, are the gatekeepers who work in publishing and um, and that's been going on for I mean I think I don't know at least probably going back to around 2010 or like 2000 2000- it was definitely around the time that I kind of left London and, and moved to Barcelona that there was um, a sense that people were becoming increasingly aware and like active around that. But now it's been, I mean, almost a decade and we're still um, I don't know, kind of seeing over and over again Um, I mean, you can see, yeah, great things that have come about and great changes, and in general, I would say it feels like the most um, exciting and inspiring time in publishing, like, in my whole career, because these um, initiatives are, and just support for diverse writers was not happening at all. And when I first um, was starting like in the 90s and early 2000s, um, but there's clearly still a really long way to go or there's like, you keep finding different examples of things that actually um haven't changed that much at all or i do and i think that um it's clearly mostly in the u.s and the uk um i think to some extent in france as well at least in the the writers that are um are getting published in, in literature. Um, but but yeah, it's kind of I think it's it's really in the US, the US and the UK that are continuing to push forward with this. And um but I also saw it a lot, I mean when I was just in Colombia, um which um, was really inspiring because I don't um, I don't see it so much uh, in Spain, for instance. And so it was um, it's great to see, because maybe that is the answer like <laughs> for um, or part of the answer for like, I don't know, country publishers in like South America, in Africa um, to be doing, like to be growing, to be kind of creating communities around books and um, in their own countries, because it's also... um, I don't know it's about like the global north versus the global south and like all the centers of publishing power are in the north and so i think if there are these sort of new channels um or like hubs of of publishing growing in africa in south america in asia then that's gonna help um as well but yeah i don't know i have mixed um mixed views about the extent to which um the industry is is really promoting diversity <laughs> um what are your what are, can I ask you, like, what you, what your perspective on that is?
0: Well, I agree with you. I think it's uh, better than it certainly has been, which is good. Um, I think it could continue to improve. Um, I continue to hear absolutely unacceptable stories. Many of them off off the record um, from from guests on the show or people I've met in real life. Uh, really, in twenty, you know, twenty twenty two, an editor said that, uh, an agent said that, really. And as soon as I know who that person is, they're not coming on this show. Like, nope. <laughs> best of best of luck elsewhere. So it's um, yeah, no, I I agree. I think uh, I think we're improving, but uh, there's the the road leads ever onward, uh, and there's there's more work to be done. Um, but uh, the good news is there's folks out there like Jessica Craig <laughs> who are actively working uh, to continue that work. Um, and I wanted—I've uh, been asking everyone about the state of publishing, also. And since you're in a unique position uh, to tell us about uh, the state of international publishing, I know here in the U.S. we're getting some. Always, it seems like there's always some variation of a doomsday tale. Um, more recently, we've had some uh, high-profile um, uh, associate editors leaving publishing with complaints that the pay is too low, the workload is too great. It's not sustainable. How are editors supposed to make a living within publishing? Is that primarily a U.S. problem or are you seeing that internationally as
1: well? I think that's um, it's definitely not just a U.S. problem. I mean, just in this past week in in the U.K. bookseller, there have been lead articles about is the results of, of survey, recent surveys about the issue of burnout, um, in, in British publishing and the, um, issues of pay for like entry-level and, and, uh, junior roles versus the, um, uh, the executives at the top and, um, and how that is so linked to, um, there being diversity in, in publishing is if like people from anything other than privileged backgrounds are not able to earn a living, like do like with an entry level publishing, uh, salary or the cost of living in a place like London, um, or New York, um, then Yeah, that's something that really needs to be solved by um, um, the the big publishing companies, especially, um, and big agencies as well. Um, And I think it is a problem. I think it's also an issue probably anywhere, um, but less so in, um, I mean, in countries where the cost of living or in places where the cost of living isn't as high um, or where there's more of like, I don't know, a social, like like where there's good public health care for example, or like where there's more of like a social safety net um, in, um, in most European countries. Um, and I don't think, um, I don't think it's as stark a an issue as it is in um, in the US or UK. Um, yeah, but it's <laughs> I don't know. I feel very like I don't know positive and hopeful. Um, about a lot of things to do with publishing um and books but there are a lot of um i don't know just i think warning signs about (laughs) the future um that um i don't think we can ignore (laughs) um
0: so if we could just fix our, uh, here in the, the US and in the UK, if we could uh, make sure we get healthcare uh, universally available and maybe stabilize our um, disparity in wealth uh, a little bit, that would take a lot of the pressure off publishing. So some of this may be less a problem with publishing so much as it's just a problem with these capitalist exploitative uh, systems. Am I hearing that right?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. Um, Okay, we know the
0: solution. We'll just fix it and then that'll be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do think. In terms of publishing. um, There's still a real issue of. um, I guess. Yeah, inequality, but also like elitism in a way. Like, I think there's people are starting to address this or talk about it at least. But um, it's so hard to, I think, undo, um, especially if you are like living and working in like one of the centers. Of of power of wealth and power, like New York or or London, then you kind of have to, you're kind of caught up in all of that as well. Or, um, I think, um, I, for too long, there's been. Um, I mean, just such, I guess, a preference given to, like, writers who have, I don't know, come from, like, certain schools or, like, certain, um, I mean, I, I guess that is where it's mostly, like, channeled, like, if you've gone um I mean, I don't know. I've gone to great schools, at, like those schools. So I'm, I know that world or that like way of, um, of thinking very well. But I don't know. I guess I've never, I, I currently am more aware of the, um, the elitism that kind of goes into not just publishing, but like all kind of major, um, but especially in the arts, I think, but, and especially in like the book world, there are these just clear kind of um, connections between like, especially in literary I mean in in literary fiction and nonfiction, I do find um I mean actually we should talk about like <laughs> I guess how I kind of shifted into children's books like after being um someone who always saw herself as being an adult reader adult agent um
0: it's yes. definitely
1: great. <laughs> it's definitely in children's books that I think we can see all these kind of previous like prejudices and like categories um, sort of breaking down at least in um, in the US and, and UK. Um, and... And yeah, I got into um, children's books basically through my writers. Like, um, I never thought it would be my area. There is such a kind of um, or I always perceived there to be such a kind of division between the people who work in adult publishing and the people who work in children's publishing or the um, it's a different network it's you're submitting to different editors um and and it has been a learning curve um for me um I don't have kids of my own um and and yeah I just sort of thought it was never going to be something that I would um get into but I'm really glad that um I mean, basically, thanks to um, Jack Chang writing See You in the Cosmos, um, which he initially didn't know he was writing a middle grade book or a, a book for kids. He just wrote the book that he wanted to write. Um, but, and when I first read that manuscript, um, I think I initially did set, show it to a couple. Um, Adult fiction editors, but I did just have the sense that this book feels different from. um, Well, it is. It was different from anything I'd ever (laughs) worked on or read before. Um, And then it, yeah, it ended up working really well as a as a middle grade novel, Um, and that showed me that oh, I guess I can do this after all, or I have. Um, It's, I mean, it's been work that I've had to do to like, yeah, get to know about middle grade, um, young adult, um, the market, the people, Um, there's still a lot more reading in that area that i want to do and and am doing but it's been such a joy to um to kind of enter it like through the writers and and the projects that um that i've worked on over the past few years um and, and each time it sort of pushes like, I don't know, the boundary further than I thought. Cause I was like, okay, no, I'll, I'm, I want to do more middle grade. Um, and I've got the, you know, basis to, to keep building upon that. But then, um, and I, but then I thought. See you in the cosmos
0: one, the SCBWI golden yeah. title just right out of the strong
1: start
0: (laughs) you immediately fall in love with middle grade after an experience like that right
1: yeah (laughs) um and jack has too i mean he's definitely he's working on um his next um middle grade novel and um he's really kind of connect like found a kind of community of uh, writers not only of middle grade but um writers for young readers and so and then because of that like I had the confidence to reach out to uh Zainab Mian um British Muslim um writer real trailblazer um with I mean she'd been writing and and even illustrating her own books and self-publishing like she'd started two self-publishing two companies in the uk um when she was a um a, a biology teacher and but had two young sons at that time and was frustrated as many people are and should be that there weren't any books um that featured like characters that looked like her kids, um, or her. And, um, so she started writing them and publishing them herself. Um, and then I found her when, um, she actually won this great prize. It's a pretty recent prize in the UK called the little rebels prize. Um, but she, um, It was actually when she was on the shortlist for that, that was the first time I saw her her name, but it was kind of amazing because she was on a shortlist of, like Malala was on that same shortlist and um, these other like kind of well-known British children's book writers who were all published by major publishers. And then there was um, Zainab Mian with her self-published book that was then called the Muslims. But, But yeah, I'm so glad that I reached out to her at that moment and um, we connected really well. And and then her book, The Muslims, has grown into what's now a five book series called Planet Omar, um, published by um, Hodder and the Hachette Children's Group in the UK and um, Putnam Children's in the US. and that's um, doing well in like Dutch and German and <laughs> Italian and um, so so yeah, having these projects that just um, kind of spoke to me and these writers. Um, yeah, they're the ones who kind of <laughs> guided me into this world of, of children's publishing, um, and and then I always felt like, okay, well, I can see what like how middle grade or like basically books that are sort of similar to novels, but for young readers. Um, are speaking to me, but I can't believe there's no way I'm ever going to do a picture book. (laughs) And and then um, because that is so different still from middle grade and YA um, publishing and the people are also very different. Um, But then this project um, actually came up right at the start of the pandemic. which was, um, it was just published in March of this year called Lujain Dreams of Sunflowers. And it's a gorgeous picture book that um, shares not so much the biography. I mean, it's a really fascinating project because it, and I think this is one reason that I was immediately so captivated by it is because I like books that just kind of push definitions of what kind of book it is or like um, and so this book is is this special kind of way of of sharing a real life human rights defender like Shiro's story but through um, basically a fantasy kind of fable story um, that's very imaginative and is sort of inspired by imagining what the real Lujane hath Hoth- Hoth- um was like as, as a young girl um, before she became an activist. Um, she was one of the leaders of um, ending the ban against women driving in Saudi Arabia and also the the male guardianship system. And she was, um, one of, of these activists that was punished most, uh, severely for just her activism. Um, and it's, um, because her siblings um, all live outside um, of Saudi Arabia, um, they've been able to um, speak out about um, what has happened to her and, and also other Saudi activists. Um, and it's her younger sister who's the co-writer um, of this book um, with the woman who um, really uh, built the international campaign to, um, to free the Saudi uh, women who um, were imprisoned um, even after um, MBS lifted the driving ban. Um, he then put the, <laughs> the women who'd been kind of campaigning for that, in prison, um, and took credit himself for having done this, (laughs) this thing. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it's been really, um, an incredible experience, like shepherding a, a book like this into the children's book world, um, I think it's possibly the first, and it is inspired by like Malala's magic pencil, I think is maybe the only other sort of close example, but it's still, um, to share the story like for such young readers of a real life um, human rights defender, who's case was actually i mean there was a lot of uncertainty i mean she was in prison during the whole time that the book was being written and kind of um presented to publishers and we're so uh grateful that we i think we found the perfect publisher which was um maria russo um of mine edition um part of astra books for young readers and then um they matched it with um, Rebecca Green as the illustrator um, who actually had been um, friends with, or she still is friends um, with um, one of the co-writers, with Uma Mishra Newberry, the, the co-writer. Um, so it's, I'm not sure I wanna do a lot more with picture books, although I, cause it's a, it's such a different, area but now because of this one i definitely do want to and will keep doing more with picture books because how could i stop when i've met such wonderful people through this and it's been such a a a really impactful experience um so yeah i guess the lesson is never say (laughs) never say never (laughs) Something you mentioned
0: uh, much earlier in a conversation that I, I, I made a mental note to get back to is you'd mentioned for a brief time you worried you might be losing your love of reading, and I thought oh no that must be like uh, almost the equivalent of if your minister had happened for 20, 30 years, however long, and you're you're well-established in your career, and suddenly you become an atheist. Oh, no. If you lose your love of reading, what, what are you going to do? And I know you are a big proponent of reading at least one book for pleasure at, at, at all times while you're reading your submissions and everything else. Does working on discovering new things like picture books, like middle grade books, does that help to renew your love of reading? And where is your relationship with reading at this point?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it's actually at a kind of hard spot. Like just this year, there's been something about like 2022 that has been hard to, um, to keep up the pleasure reading. But yeah. Um, I think that's just because I've been so busy, or because so many of my clients kind of buckled down and like progressed in like writing new drafts or new manuscripts, like during this, um, yeah, pandemic time. That I've had a sort of steady flood of, of works from my writers to um, to be reading this year, but it's. Um I definitely think working in kids books I mean that's one of the things that I'm really yeah discovering I love about it is it does kind of reignite that kind of early passion for for reading um and just and also, like the books are much shorter, so it's easier to like read, um, uh, yeah, middle grade or even YA, and certainly picture books for pleasure than it is to read like all the, I know, novels and and nonfiction too that I want to be reading. But um, I mean, I think the biggest difference for me, like that's one of the joys of having gone out on my own. Um, because I think it was much harder when I was kind of servicing other people's clients or like working like um, as a foreign rights agent and having to kind of read I don't know across especially a company as big as um, United Agents um, I only had time to read maybe one or two novels for pleasure like in a year and I felt as soon as I got like firmly into primary agenting and then especially when I set up on my own that there just felt like such a it had been years since I had really (laughs) um I mean I guess on I don't know on holidays I would always take like read maybe one book but um I really made an effort to just make the time um, to be reading something um, all through the year and and it's um, made me yeah just <laughs> feel so much I guess sharper and that and just to have that sense that my love of reading has that i've returned to it like from almost like before the time when i first got into um the business um i just i mean i think that's something everyone in publishing kind of struggles with the most is we all kind of grew up like loving reading that's why we have these careers but um then yeah to be working in an area where you're required to read so much um and pretty much and, and after hour like that's part of the issue with like burnout with sort of people in in uh more on the publishing side um than the agency side i think but is it's not like editors are able to be like reading kind of at their desks or like during most working days it's what you have to fit in like after hours or on weekends and um but i feel like i have i guess a bit more flexibility about um i mean my client's work comes first but then um yeah, there's always something, I'm and especially over the summer. I guess that's when I kind of spend a lot more time reading than other times of the year. Um,
0: well, how, uh, I know you've got uh, right around thirty some odd clients now. How actively are you
1: seeking new clients? Um, I'm always. I do. I think at the moment, I'm feeling just, it's harder. I mean, I guess I've signed up a few new this year, like in the first months of this year. Um, and I'm still, I'm always seeking. I mean, there's, I don't know, a couple of people that I just asked to see um, samples from just this week. Um, I think I am reaching a point where, because initially when I first started my agency, I, I think I had six writers, and now I have like, I don't know, almost 36 probably, but, um, and I know that's what, like, the agents at, like, the big agencies can take on a lot more clients. I mean, I think some of my former colleagues at United Agents have, like, I don't know, maybe a hundred <laughs> clients, and but um since i do do everything myself um i mean i have recently started teaming up with um an agency in london to handle my translation rights which is um feeling really good because i mean it's never something i'm going to completely turn my back on or i feel like there always is some like because of my um i mean that's what my career was until recently that i still have a lot to contribute but to just yeah have um somebody i trust who is excited about my books uh, or my clients books um and able to have that be their kind of full-time um work whereas what I've discovered is like getting new writers kind of through the doors of publishing houses in the U S and, or the UK, ideally both is that's, <laughs> that takes up, like, <laughs> I mean, I like to I try to keep up some of my closest relationships and like you know, with publisher editors in Germany or France or other European countries, especially, but um it's um there's so much change to always keep up with uh in north america and in the uk um so but that said yeah i um i think it's mostly just trying to keep a sort of i love having an eclectic list um and so it's a matter of like trying to keep doing different kinds of projects that do all sort of connect in some way to like my own taste and passions and and experience. But um, um, yeah, that does make me um, more, I guess because I'm glad, like, I wouldn't want to just be doing, I don't know, entirely literary fiction, for example, um, or I like being somebody, I actually really like it when, like, my writers are, like, able, like, some writers are able to do more than one kind of book, like, whether fiction or non-fiction or write for kids as well, and, um, i'm i really enjoy and, and, and i'm kind of proud to be an agent that can encompass that like without you know them having to go off to work with somebody else for um a kid's book or a non-fiction book um so so, yeah, I'm open, but I'm also I can be very slow to respond because because um, it's just me. But eventually, I mean, I would like to, I don't know, at least get an assistant or <laughs> have, <laughs> and uh, maybe that will give me the capacity to expand a bit more. But
0: well, should we put off the call? Should anybody who's ever always wanted to be an, an intern or an assistant for <laughs> a literary agency uh, at least maybe drop you an email
1: <laughs> um, early for that? I think it's a little early, but it's something that, yeah. Um, I mean, ideally, I think it would be good to have somebody in nearly the same time zone that I'm in. So, um probably um so that might be someone who's based in the UK or or Europe um but eastern I don't know I I actually tend to work like match my working hours to um eastern US um as much as possible um esteemed audience were to keep an eye on
0: craig literary then if Mm. you are at that stage you're going to post something there they'll see that that, that's what you're looking for and they'll know it's time to send you their resume
1: Mm. yeah i think my 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 move of house like has to happen before anything else and then once i'm settled um in what is intended to be like you know the last big move (laughs) um then uh, that would be the good time to be starting to uh, look for an assistant. So, hmm.
0: well, I did want to ask that I'm watching our time, and you, you've been extremely generous with your time, and I greatly appreciate it. So, I've only got a couple more questions for you uh, today, and we'll, we'll we'll end this thing while we're still having fun. Uh, but <laughs> I did want to add, ask a little <laughs> bit, uh, literary question. I like to, add, to give the opportunity to, to every agent that comes on here because. Uh, one one reason esteemed audience is listening to us uh, is to get some sense of why Craig Literary of all the agencies to choose from. Why would this be the best for me? Um, and so that's my question. What uh, what are the advantages of working with Craig Literary? What can all the authors who are already sending queries to you look forward to once they've once they've been accepted?
1: <laughs> um. Oh gosh it's re- that's a really tough question. I mean, I think um, it's mostly about deciding whether you want uh, like an independent or like boutique kind of model of agent or one of the like big companies and um I think there are advantages and and disadvantages to to both um I think the advantages of um an agent like me is um that I don't know I think of myself as be and I think all like we are um much more i think you would get more personal attention because obviously there's nobody else to (laughs) respond to the emails or um in my case um but it's also about um i don't know i feel it's slightly different like philosophy of uh, um of the process of like um of a book's journey like I mean um it's and I guess I, I kind of work in a very sort of bespoke way like depending on like every author is different every book is different and so um but yeah it's about kind of growing out of that, like, kind of fundamental, like, spark (laughs) from the, from the beginning. Um, And it, I mean, I think, um, I am really unique um, from other agents, because of my international, like, background, and location and um and i think that is something that i don't know some writers or aspiring writers are drawn to more than others i feel like really actually lucky and sort of i mean when i first set up craig literary i worried a bit like am i going to You know, get any interesting submissions or queries at all, like, or will they all just, um, like how will people know about me or like will, um, and it actually has been really gratifying to see that, um, I mean, there's never really been any shortage, especially when I first set up the agency, there's that initial kind of, I mean, once you're, I guess, Listed as a new company in Publishers Weekly or Publishers Marketplace, then people submit um, more than ever. But um, it's, um, yeah, I think it's pretty apparent like what makes me different from um, the, I guess, usual agent that's based in new york or in london and i think it's been really wonderful to um i mean that the authors that especially those that i've been working with since i actually was in london of those who have stayed with me um have not i don't know don't think seen any difference in or it's because they wanted to work with me and it didn't matter to them like whether i was in london or um an off-grid olive of farm in spain um and so yeah i'm not sure if that really answered the question but um
0: i think it does i think that the student <laughs> knows that they're gonna get to work with jessica Craig, and it's more or less, enough said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, occasionally I do get, I, I get query. I mean, I know a lot of authors like send out like, queries simultaneously to various agents and that's fine. And like, there have been times um, where I've you know, made a play for somebody who I knew was like, had an offer from somebody in New York or was approaching agencies there and i guess i'd prefer not to be in those kinds of situations cuz i don't know i sort of feel like um it's but I, and it's inevitable that i will be and i actually think it's a healthy thing for authors like to be i mean it's like when i'm submitting a work to publishers usually i'm submitting it to more than one publisher <laughs>
0: Um. <laughs> um, it just takes so long to hear back. It's not realistic to wait three months every time.
1: I completely agree. <laughs> well,
0: unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jessica Craig, have you ever seen a ghost and or a
1: flying saucer? <laughs> um I am very... I think I've become increasingly, like, sort of rational or science-based, like, over the years, but whereas, um, but I, okay, definitely not a flying saucer. <laughs> um, I may, it's possible I've seen a ghost, but. Can you share any details with me? <laughs> Um no, I mean, I don't know. I, I think um sometimes I have I have very vivid dreams like I have ever since I was a child and there have been I don't know, one or two standout dreams where I could possibly could believe that <laughs> there was <laughs> something else going on there but um I don't know I'm
0: not gonna yeah, say the it. things where if it's not if it's not mm-hmm. practical you don't have the absolute proof on it you oh, just got of put it in the category of maybe yes maybe no and that's <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not a great practical use throughout the day
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: I 100% believe in flying saucers, but does it come up every day? No. Is it useful? <laughs> Is the a regular basis? No, not really. i <laughs> will <laughs> put that over there, but we've got to do this today. Let's focus on it. I'd love
1: it. to represent a, like a really good ghost story. Actually. I, I That has not happened. I don't think I've ever represented a ghost story. Um.
0: Anyways, <laughs> you just perked right up at that. I mean, for <laughs> like more of a literary type ghost story or what, was, what would maybe help to catch your interest?
1: Well, it would have to be really good writing. I mean, I think it could be, um, yeah, probably more to the literary side, but it could be, yeah, in the young readers area or adult. Um, yeah. And I haven't done any like horror is not really a thing that I have done yet. Um but I could be I mean I, I'm interested, I do like I I like some speculative fiction or like and that certainly could have ghosts in it. Um so yeah <laughs>
0: jack chang if you're if you're listening uh, number one please come on the show uh, we'd love to we'd love to have you but oh that would be
1: great i'll tell him
0: that seems like that's going to be the secret that now you'll uh, jack chang got you into the middle grade and now he'll be the uh the 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 the, the gateway into into horror
1: <laughs> yeah, no i don't think so <laughs> Well, or
0: or or some other. Somebody else will know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is this has been an absolute pleasure, and and I so appreciate your your generosity, uh, generosity, and making time for us. Um, For today, uh, my last question for you is always some variation of, if you could offer one or two or however many bits of advice you like that. Uh, Might make a significant difference for all of the writers who are watching or listening to us now. What would you tell them?
1: Wow. Um, I think just be true to your vision and your craft. Um, I mean, if you have a vision that where there's a gap between I don't know the craft that you've learned and achieving that vision then hone up on the craft like find ways to (laughs) to strengthen the craft Um, but I think in these just incredibly noisy intense times that um that we're in like it's more important than ever to yeah keep the space like your creative space um and and not be um i don't know tripped up by doubting whether Mm -hmm. like i don't know your book is going to have any relevance or whether books at all like have any relevance or um I mean I think if you've yeah if you if, if there's something that you're really you know passionate about and and have the skill to to pull off then don't um don't let go of it or don't lose like uh, sight of it. I mean, there's probably, it might not be me that responds like to it, <laughs> but there probably is someone out there. I mean, there are, yeah. I mean, fortunately there seem to be more people entering publishing as agents, um, as independent publishers, as editors than um, I've ever seen before um so yeah
0: (laughs) they're they're entering there are more people entering agenting and publishing now than than ever before why do you think that is it's a sneaky follow-up
1: question (laughs) um well i think it has it, it has to do with the diversification like of publishing especially in the u.s and the UK, um, but I think in other countries as well, there are agents um, where there never were agents for. Um, I mean, like in South America, for example, or, um, but I think it's also, um, um, it's easy, like, I don't know I think I've been reading articles lately that give the impression that like oh agenting is the easy thing to do or like if you I don't know haven't made it in or if you've lost like your job or your like quality of life in like corporate publishing then just shift over to becoming an agent or and it is very easy to set up as an agent. Like anybody can. You don't need I don't know a special degree, or um, you don't even need that much. Like there's hardly any overhead. I mean, compared to if you were just wanting to start a publishing house, for example. But um, um, it's <laughs> it's not an easy. Thing. I don't know. There's no really easy formulas um for um for succeeding at it, I guess, aside from working really hard and um, um but on the plus side I think there are more agents and agencies out there than um well than I've ever yeah than there've ever been before. In more and in more different parts of the country, like they're not all in kind of New York or the like tri-state area anymore. There, <laughs> um, so yeah.
0: That's wonderful news for writers, which is the perfect note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful news for writers.
1: <laughs> Where uh,
0: can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media, and all the and all that stuff?
1: I'm um, on my website is craigliterary.com um I'm on Twitter <laughs> for the time being um, at @craigliterary um I'm just keeping an eye on how things are going to evolve there but um and then um I actually was on instagram as a uh, craig literary and instagram like deleted my or disabled my account for some like fine print reason that no like they, they just don't explain um but um yeah you can best find me through my website or twitter
0: and you can find me on twitter always esteemed audience even as it becomes more and more of a hell site i'll still be on there to tell you who's on the show oh,
1: yeah <laughs> if you and other good people stay I'll, I'll stick around.
0: <laughs> no, that's all i do is i just toss up a link and then i run away like, yeah. like to have a discussion that devolves into an online argument with strangers nope <laughs> i've got books to write no thank you but here's a link to the show um for more interviews with literary agents, almost as good as this one, for interviews with authors, editors, all the world's best people, head to middlegreatninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. It will change your life. And God of they got alive. I'll see you next week.